Namaste and good evening to all of you. Let us continue tonight the understanding of some of the words and actions of Jesus as they appear from the standpoint of yoga. And um, for the last two satsangs, we got riveted in the middle of the explanations of the most fundamental prayer of Christianity, the only prayer which comes directly from the mouth of Jesus, like when they ask him, how should we pray? He said, look, this is an example of how should you pray. It doesn't mean it's the only way to pray. The art of prayer in Christianity, of course, there is an art of prayer in Buddhism, there is an art of prayer in the worship of Vishnu and Shiva in India. There are other. There is an art of prayer in Sufism, in the Islamic tradition. And the Sufis, one of the 12 Sufi orders, they pray by spinning. They go like this and they spin, spin, spin for hours and hours. Now that's a weird technology of praying because the Christians don't do it. But it doesn't mean it's not right. So there are different technologies of prayer in Christianity itself. The Eastern Christianity has evolved in the technology which is called the prayer of the heart. It's the most famous prayer of all the Eastern Christianity. And it's a methodology which is honed to perfection, repeating the prayer of the heart and going into it and all the possibilities of it. While, for example, the Catholic Christianity, the Western Christianity, has devised methods like the one... The spiritual practices of Ignacio de Loyola, who was the founder of the Jesuits and the anti-Catholic people absolutely hate him and the Jesuit thing. And that's why they are disconsidered to a large extent. Or the famous handbook of Thomas Akempis, which is called the imitation of Jesus Christ. That you have to imitate Jesus Christ, like a sort of a... NLP modeling of Jesus Christ, the apostles, and so on. So there are various ways of coming close to this, but the Lord's Prayer that we are talking about here because we encountered it in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke at this point, is archetypal also, and it goes in all the streams of Christianity because that's the only one which actually explicitly came from the mouth of Jesus as a concrete example of prayer. So you can't beat that, you know, like, okay, that's a prayer which comes directly from the source. And as I have explained, just to get you warm, because some of you maybe didn't hear the previous satsangs and now are for the first time here, it, the, this prayer of the Lord, the Lord's Prayer, is divided in two halves of three lines each. It's a six-line prayer, and it has three lines which are warming up, preparing, rising to a high consciousness, and it has three lines where we actually make some requests. The same principle is used, the yogis discovered, in the programming of the mind. When you want to make affirmations, all this crazy stuff called the secret and the law of attraction, and which people apply so egoistically and so materialistically, and in so inferior ways, basically from the very beginning they have the same start. Like there is a way of preparing the ground and there is a way of asking what you need to ask. The Lord's Prayer 
respects exactly this. The Lord's Prayer is archetypal. It comes like if there was one prayer on the face of this earth who knew something about prayer, that definitely must have been Jesus. Therefore, it comes from the horse's mouth. It comes from the expert of the experts in this field. That's why we have to look carefully into it to see what does it mean from the standpoint of practice of prayer. And I said, it contains three verses. I went through that already two weeks ago, two satsangs ago. It goes into exalting the divine nature into us connecting full of veneration with the divine nature because that's very necessary for us otherwise we don't have the feeling that we are in a sacred space that we are not in the feeling that we commune with something great and then asking for things and Jesus thought that you can reduce the asking to three things of course you say but what if I have a pain in my knee uh, what do I do? You know, is this prayer enough? Well, you can add one line to it. You can say, and also, please heal the pain in my knee. You know, It's not forbidden to add something to it, which is uh, very specific for a certain case. But the whole point of it is that in the beginning there is this template. This prayer is like the basic draft, is the basic template. And Jesus reduces the three requirements, like what does a human being ask for? To three things. And two of them, we already went through them, 90%, 99% through them. I can stay on these things, you know, for 10 satsangs. There have been books written on the Lord's Prayer and on all the implications of the things. There is a lot of theology and a lot of meditation and correlations and connections there. But it's not the purpose of this satsang here to explore all the theological meanings, correlations and other things. My purpose is to give you something practical for yoga. If any one of you wants to do some prayer, some yogis did prayer, not all the yogis, but some yogis loved to do some prayer because they were religious people and they thought prayer helps them. No, I remember reading the story of a great yogi, as a parenthesis, who said that he wanted to do his pranayama, mantras, whatever he was doing, and in that day he was very troubled. He had fears, emotions, his soul was in a turmoil, and he knew that you should not do yoga with your soul very disharmonious, in a very bad state of mind. His state was not bad, but it was like very... Um, he was not at peace with himself. And he says, then I got the inspiration and I prayed for 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, my soul became much more calm. And then I started to do my yoga. The yoga is not the prayer. And the prayer is not the yoga, but they go hand in hand very easily if you want that to do. Not to mention that with yoga, when you develop awareness of the chakras and energies and concentration of the mind and a lot of other things like this, of course it will help the power of your prayer. It will help the efficiency of your prayer anyway. People say, but Swamiji, if we listen to a work, to a satsang like this, is it compulsory that we start doing prayer? Like, is Agama teaching us to do prayer? Yes and no. It's entirely up to you. 
if you are a devotional person who anyway has some theological opening towards the universe, then why not at least learn to do prayer with the power of yoga, and also that you can go straight like a laser beam to the point. And if you are not that kind of person, you can say, you know, prayer is not really what I do. I, I feel awkward when I'm doing prayer. I prefer to work on my third eye. I prefer to do trataka. I prefer to stand on my head. I prefer, fine, fine, stand on your head. It's a great, great, super great practice, you know. You don't need to feel inferior that you say, oh, but I didn't do prayer. Only some people feel inclined towards this path. Again, meditation, prayer, I explained already last time. They are different things. So back to our story. Uh, in the list of demands, like what can you ask from God in a general way, let's say you don't have a pain in your knee. So if you don't have a pain in your knee, what do you ask for? General things. And the general things are... Uh, uh, and Lord, uh, make me feel good, you know, but the people who feel good, they become sometimes idiots. Maybe it's not important that you feel good all the time. Maybe you should have a little crisis from time to time. Maybe you should ask yourself some questions. Maybe some things in your life should not work well all the time so that you don't become arrogant and infatuated and this, no? It is one of the great saints of Christianity, Peter of Damascus, says we are having light and darkness in our life to discover what love truly is, what the real love truly is. We have light and darkness and sometimes we are encouraged, but sometimes we are discouraged. So that when we feel very arrogant, like, ah, my spiritual life is going really good, then God himself can clap you over the head and say, sit down, you know, take a little bit of depression so that you become a bit humble, you know, because now you are becoming like you think you are smart and you are everything and you are not. No, like, take it easy. No? So everything is coming like a pedagogical game, teaching you with the carrot and with the stick. You know, sometimes you get the carrot, but sometimes you get the stick as well in the divine life. I hope you all know the metaphor of the carrot and the stick and what it means that sometimes you get benefits, pleasure, and sometimes you get beaten by the stick, you get hit by the stick, you know. So you are between the carrot and the stick, between the rewards and punishment. In That's how our brain works. It's not because uh, anybody in this universe needs it. It's the way our brain is made. We work on a reward system in our brain. And exactly as you train a dog and make him do a trick, and then you give the dog a biscuit, and if you do that ten times, the dog learns that every time it does, it gets a biscuit, you know. And so on, that exactly in the same way our mind is working. So, Jesus is not telling you that, hey, you should pray by saying, and God, uh, hallowed be thy name, may thy kingdom come, and so on, and make me feel good every day. Because that's a foolish request. As much as you think you would like to feel good every day, sometimes maybe you need to go through the dark night of the soul. Sometimes maybe you need to go through some questions, questioning yourself, questioning something. And it's part of the beautiful process in which you grow up. It's exactly like a child that grows up teeth. When a baby grows up teeth, the gums get swollen, red, itchy, sometimes painful, and the baby is crying. And the mother is desperate, but on the other hand, she knows if, there's, if it's not hurting, then my baby will have no teeth. To have teeth, you have to get swollen and painful a little bit, you know. So it's the same with our growth, that your soul can grow 
you need some pain, this kind of understanding that you don't need to have pain or you shouldn't have pain is completely absurd. It comes from superficial people who are hedonistic. They don't have any stoicism and any Spartan spirit in them. And they think life should just be some sort of levity where all day long you are smiling and saying, hey, I'm fine, I'm fine. You don't get anywhere. Khalil Gibran says life, I'm sorry, love has its laughter and also love contains tears. Most of the Anahata Chakra Indian Bollywood movies from the 1950s and 60s, there was a tradition, there was a time when the Bollywood movies came on very strong. Most of the classical Indian movies like 420 and others and others, I can't even remember the names of them, Aradhana and other famous movies that made history in those days, and which are part of the glory of the Indian cinematography, they make you cry to tears, to pieces. You know, people in my country, when I was a child, people said, I'm going to watch an Indian movie in the cinema. I hope you took a handkerchief with you. You know, because they knew when you go to an Indian movie, you're going to cry your heart out. Why? Because love is not only about laughing. Love is about crying as well. And Khalil Gibran, who understood love to a large extent, he says very clearly, if you are running away from the tears, you will never understand what love truly is. You are going to have only one arm of the love, but you are never going to have the full love. For the full love, you have to go 100%. You cannot just take, oh, let's take the pleasurable part. This is not about pleasure and pain about something much deeper. So now Jesus doesn't put in his uh, uh, prayer some levity thing, some superficial things like, oh, and God, let's have a fun time. And, uh, you know, it's not about having fun. The evolution and life itself is not about having fun. So he asks, it's interesting to see how his clarity sees what does a human being need. And the first thing he says today, give us our daily bread which means we live in an ecosystem and this planet has to sacrifice itself to keep you alive. Either you consume water or oxygen or food or whatever else you consume, the planet makes an effort. Even if you are a vegetarian and you don't kill animals, you kill carrots or you kill something. The planet still has to bear your existence and your farts are destroying the ozone layer even if you eat only carrots. And therefore, the you are a burden for this planet. And the planet is happy to carry you as a burden as long as you are here for a purpose. It's exactly like you would say, if you have 500 children in a school, if you build a school, a building of a school, and you put 500 children, in 10 years you have to renovate it because the fucking children are going to ruin that school because this is how children are, you know. Wherever they go, they will break windows, they will smear the walls, they will do... But the school is happy to be renovated every 10 years because it fulfills its purpose. Children are learning in that school. Some of them will become very knowledgeable and very developed. So the purpose of the school is being met, even if the school is worn out in the process. So it's not wrong that the planet Earth is carrying us. The planet Earth is happy to carry us if we evolve, if 
we grow up, if we are harmonious, if we reach our souls, if we find ourselves in the process, then it was worth it. So the first thing is Jesus says is be aware of this. Today, give us our daily bread. Because, you know, sometimes when you look at the history of the earth, 50, 20 years ago when I was giving lectures in the first level, still the internet was howling with the thing that approximately 30,000 people, most of them children, 20 years ago only, die. I don't know how it is today, but 20 years ago it was 30,000 people, most of them children, that died every day because of lack of food. Most of them in Africa and in Asia, of course. 30,000. That's the twin towers of 9-11 multiplied by 10 every day. And, you know, America went to war for the twin towers. But 10 times more is dying every day and those are children, most of them. And we keep on breathing and smiling and watching movies in the malls and so on. You know, it's like it doesn't affect us because it's not being advertised and there's no mid much mediatization. Maybe today it's not 30,000. Maybe some charitable organizations made some miracles and maybe it's only 10,000. I don't know how many people can feel comfortable that today 10,000 people, most of them children, 10,000. That's as much as how many people are on this island in total today. That 10,000 people die today. And tomorrow another 10,000 are going to die. No? It's kind of insane. No? People talk about political correctness, you know, that it's a disaster in Australia or something. That's because Australia is a capitalistic developed country and they can beat the drum very hard and say, look at us, look how much trouble we have. But that trouble is much more in other parts of the world every day. Every day it's happening, you know. And nobody beats the drum too much about it. No? So Jesus is right in this. He understands what life is about. And he says, give us today our daily bread. First, you have to be in this flow. You have to survive. If this planet is not holding you, you don't survive. Then he says the second thing, which is the essence of his philosophy. Jesus, as I explained so many times, and some of you have heard it already, some of you don't know. Jesus is trying to tell to the Israelis of his time and to the whole world via them that everybody should rise to Anahata Chakra. Jesus is telling, by the time you die, the dominant chakra in your system should be the heart chakra. If you are mostly in the heart chakra or higher, of course, when you die, then you go to paradise. Then I will come and pick you up and take you to the kingdom of heaven. So what I'm asking you is make an effort and rise to Anahata Chakra. If you rise to Anahata Chakra, if you are Manipuristic, I'm not going to be there. You're not refined enough. I have seen you, you are a samurai. Ha ha, I can die for my honor. Great, you are a great man, but you don't go to my kingdom of heaven. You know, it's like you're not, you didn't pass my exam. My exam says Anahata, 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 Anahata. If you don't reach Anahata, I'm, I'm dissatisfied. It's exactly like I'm telling you, you have to know uh, algebra. 
And you say, hey, I don't do algebra, but I can play music on my violin. Great, you are a great violinist, congratulations. I need people that can do algebra. You do algebra, you come to my kingdom of heaven. You don't do, you don't qualify. It's as simple as that. I make the rules of the game, not you. So therefore, there will be no bargaining. So the rule of the game, which Jesus is bringing from God, is anahata, 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 anahata. Get in your anahata chakra. And Anahata Chakra, one of its psychological features, which everybody who has done a month of yoga knows it. And if you haven't done a month of Agama, please come and do, because you need to learn these things practically. Is this Anahata Chakra is the chakra of selflessness, abnegation, love. That you can give everything to another human being or to groups of human beings. That you are completely not egoistic. That you get out of the ego. And therefore, Jesus' philosophy is a philosophy of Anahata. And one of the psychological manifestations of Anahata, which shows immediately if you are there or not, is forgiveness. If you can forgive the people who step on your toes, then you, this shows that you have Anahata. The people who don't have anahata, they cannot forgive. I remember uh, in, the, in a famous Japan description novel from the Middle Ages, which is very popular among some students in our school, you know, there is some samurai warlords from the 16th century make fun of the teachings of the Jesuit and the Franciscan priests who came and brought Christianity to Japan and say, can you believe it? that these guys are preaching that you should forgive your enemy. They said, man, you know, your enemy has to be crushed utterly and immediately. No mercy, no quarter. You know, if you just hit your enemy and it can stand up again, it will do a great harm to you because it will want to take revenge. So you don't hit your enemy weakly. You just destroy the enemy. You crush the enemy so it goes in the afterlife, you know. It never comes back to hit you back. No, this is the philosophy of Manipura, which cannot simply completely understand how are you going to forgive your enemies and so on. It's like, are you nuts? You know, it's like, this is not going to work. No? And the Jewish establishment did not accept Jesus. In the end, the high priest felt that Jesus was so dangerous to Israel that he said it's better for one man to die than for our whole nation to disappear. Because if our whole nation learns the Jesus way, then they are going to embrace the Romans. They are going to kiss the Romans and forgive them. And then Israel is going to disappear. Then we are going to become the slaves of Rome. You can't have that. Israel has to fight against the Romans. Israel has to do the Masada and things like this. Then we are patriots and then we are really defending our... But like with this hippie guy who says give a big hug to the Romans and forgive them and love them. It's like, are you nuts? This man is dangerous. They declared him a national danger because he was putting in the minds of some Israeli people the thought that it's not so bad after all that the Romans were there. You know, it's like, what? Just because some high priests and some aristocrats feel that they lost their power and their privileges 
and they want to be in charge of the Israel instead of the Roman procurator and so on. That's their problem. It's wolves fighting against wolves. It's people who want power fighting with other people who want the power, but for themselves. You know, Jesus is coming from a different level and says, go in the heart. Go in the heart. Mahatma Gandhi, who understood this, he took on upon, I think Tolstoy said it, or somebody who said, an eye for an eye, which is the law of the Talion, the Jewish law, makes the whole planet blind. Everybody will plug each other's eye because it's an eye for an eye. No, but when does it stop for God's sake? Even Buddha, although the philosophy of Buddha is not openly on Anahata, but even Buddha clearly understands this, and Buddha is preaching forgiveness of the evil, and Buddha is preaching that, he says, whenever an evil is forgiven, that evil disappears. It's like you dematerialize it, you send it back to God. No, like, you have done an evil to me, and I'm capable to not punish you for it. Hey, then it's gone. It's disappeared. Forgiveness has a magic effect. Forgiveness is transmuting the reality, is transmuting the human experience to an entirely new level. And therefore Jesus uses the next statement exactly for this, because this is his message. His message is, come to Anahata. And he says it under the form which most of you know, and forgive us our mistakes as we also forgive to those who are mistaken to us. Because he says it's impossible and hypocrite that you say, God, forgive me my mistakes. But of course, those who did mistakes to me, fuck them, let them die agonizingly. You know, it's like, ah, it will never work. How will the divine consciousness forgive you? When you cannot find this much thing, that you can say, sure, in life, shit happens. There are a lot of inferior people. There are a lot of animalistic people. There are lots of egoistic people. There are lots of demonic people. Some of them steal your money. Some of them produce disturbance in your relationships. Some of you are simply wicked and they want to create havoc. Some of this like this, some of this like that. What to do if chimpanzees are chimpanzees and lions are lions and some people are more gorillas than actually human beings? Isn't it wise to acknowledge that and to forgive them, to realize that, okay, you know, not everybody is like Jesus. Not everybody is like Buddha. No, there are people who simply can't control their bad instincts and so on. It doesn't mean I have to live in the same house with them. It doesn't mean I have to kiss them every day long. But it means that I can also simply say, I am not asking for any punishment against you. I'm not going to kiss you on both cheeks. Because that may be too much. But at least I'm not going to ask for it. No, I can be neutral. I can go down to zero. No, I'm not against you, even though I'm not very fond of you as well. But I'm not against you. No, this is the minimum that one can do. So Jesus is mentioning very clearly the law of forgiveness. He says, and forgive us our mistakes as we forgive to It's resonance. It's yin and yang. If I forgive, I am forgiven. If I give forgiveness, I receive forgiveness. Because I'm on the wavelength of forgiveness. And I have both the solar 
and the lunar part of that. I give and I receive. The same thing. I'm not giving forgiveness and receiving, I don't know, sexual thoughts. You know, because forgiveness and sexual thoughts are two different things on two different chakras, two different frequencies, and they do different things. So when I am on the wavelength of forgiveness, I also receive that forgiveness. So the second need, he is asking, bring me to Anahata chakra. Cultivate the path of Anahata. Focus on this. You receive forgiveness if you give. It's also the essential statement which is said in some of the Jewish scriptures, which are on the same line as the Christian God, no? It's a tradition which is continuing from Judaism, Christianity, Islam, no? Where it says, many Jewish prophets have said, who is without sin in front of God? Some Jewish Orthodox people, they were trying to perform 837 holy deeds every day to be holy, and nobody manages. And Jesus, when he came, he said, aren't you foolish? That you try to be holy in a manipuristic way, thinking that you are perfectionistic and that you manage. Nobody can manage. You will always do something stupid. You will always break five, ten rules every day. There is research done in the European universities which says that the most conservative and correct people, they tell six to twelve lies every day. Most of the other people up to a hundred. But the, if you find somebody who says, I swear I don't lie, I am the person who does not lie. University research has shown that they lie 6 to 12 times per day, even those people. But they don't realize, they are not aware that sometimes they sneak lies in the conversation because it's polite. There is this incredible movie, incredible idea as a movie called The Invention of Lying, you know. And you can see that the world could not exist without lying. Two people work in the same job and the woman is bringing and says, Hey, this is my kid. You know, she has a new child. Of course, like every mother, she's completely fanatic with her child. And the guy looks at it and says, It's quite ugly and skinny. And you know, like, you cannot tell that. We have to take, tell polite lies. Because if you really 100% say everything which you believe, no, people are not going to, you know, people are not going to talk to you. It's, it becomes impossible. Any social interaction is based on a certain amount of lying and wrapping the truth in some beautiful clothes and stuff like this. So, I, I took as example the telling of the truth. There's nobody in this world who tells the truth every time, every day. Everybody is a liar. Even the people who think they are very clean and very correct about this, they are still liars. And therefore, Jesus is coming and saying, in the end of the day, all of you will need to be forgiven. Because when you will draw the line and make the account of what you have done in the last 70 years of your life, you have fucked up many, many, many times. Nobody is perfect. And since you are not perfect, you need to be forgiven. As perfectly as you live your life, in the end you'll still need to say, and also, God, for whatever we should have said and we didn't say, there's a famous Islamic prayer, for whatever we should have done and we didn't do, for whatever we should have thought and we didn't think, please be merciful and forgive us. No? Because there is a lot. Nobody can live in a perfection like this. That's why... Jesus is very right. He says it's much better that you live 
you try to go to the world of the heart and live in a world which has forgiveness. It's true, this world creates a totally different psychological profile. Like people who have a lot of anahata, they are not very industrious. Like Germans and British, if they do a business, they bye-bye. In India, it's a total chaos. But it's because India has a lot of anahata. People that have a lot of anahata, they fuck up all day long because they forgive themselves. No? And then if you forgive, you cannot, you don't need to be kadosh 836 times per day. You're there and you say, look, God, I have been really imperfect today. Please, please, I, I'm forgiving everybody. Everyone, you know, I give forgiveness to, and that makes me live my life in a more relaxed way. I don't need to live my life like, ah, I made a mistake. Oh my God, I'm going to hang myself because I made a mistake. Our people here, we do tapas on the chakras in the advanced stages of Agama and so on. They said, when I was working on Manipura, I did four, five, six, eight hours of Hatha Yoga every day. I did practice like a machine. When I came to Anahata Chakra, I was practicing almost not at all. Like when I get into the heart chakra, I lost my self-discipline. No. Why? Because I was forgiving myself too much. Somebody came and said, uh, but can you help me with this? Ah, yeah, why should I do the headstand? Let me help you with this. Then in the end of the day, you say, God, I didn't do the headstand in the end, you know. You know that I'm a miserable person without willpower and so on. Please forgive me, you know. All I can do is I forgive everybody, you please forgive me. It's a much easier way, in a way. But it's not easy, because some people simply cannot forgive, and they don't want to forgive. It seems it's easy. But there are other obstacles to it, of a psychological nature. So Jesus is proposing a deal. No? And he even says somewhere, he says, take my yoke, like you are slaves, you are cows, you are oxen. You put a yoke on your shoulders. He says, I'm giving you some rules. And these rules are like a yoke on your neck. He says, take my yoke, because my yoke is easy and light. Like compared to other ways of doing spirituality, I'm actually giving you the easy way out. But you have to see it to understand that this is the easy way out. Go in the heart and a lot of the problems will disappear. And yes, you will be a mess. Like in India, nothing will work business-like and clockwork in your life. Because for that you need to have a lot of Manipura. You need to be like the Chinese drop. Puck, 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 clockwork. Swiss work. You will not be a Swiss clockwork. But you will be in the heart. No? And the people who are clockwork, they work by the rules of clockwork. Have you done this? Only 90%. Okay, then you get only 90% of the rewards as well. You know, like you want to play clockwork with God. God is giving you back the clockwork rule, you know. You want a fair. Okay, you give me what's fair, I give you what's fair. That's how you react with the universe. From the heart, that is, I give you everything, and therefore I can receive everything. So the last but one rule was very big. It defines the path of the heart itself. Forgive us our mistakes as we forgive to the people who go against us. And in this way, I'm every morning, every evening, when I do this prayer, I'm reminding to myself, I'm trying to live in a world of love, selflessness, forgiveness. 
It doesn't mean you should not tell the truth. Remember, those of you who read the Bible, that Jesus is sometimes very acid in his language. That Jesus is sometimes zapping people and he is insulting people. But it's not because he doesn't forgive them. He loves them. He wants them to come to the light. And telling the truth is like a cold shower. You know, it's like maybe if people get a cold shower, maybe they wake up and they start acting. So it doesn't mean when you forgive people, it doesn't mean that you have to be a wimp. It doesn't mean that you have to be like a sheep. You are right. Yeah, maybe you are also right. That's bullshit. That's Svadhisthana. That's the consciousness of Svadhisthana. Politically correct. Compre, let's be polite to everybody. No. Jesus is not polite at all. He's sharp like a diamond. But he is ready to forgive everything. To any level. So therefore, he's asking you to live in the same level of consciousness. And finally, he gets to the last statement which we did not analyze. And he says, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil. This is one of the things which my modern pupils in the last 20-25 years, they don't want to hear. Everybody is scared shitless about this chapter of spirituality. That there are demons, there is darkness, there is evil, there is sin, there is temptation, there is negative karma. And people don't want to hear about it because people want a license to do everything. You know, everything goes. Not for Jesus. For Jesus, definitely not everything goes. Everything goes is a statement made by spiritual imbeciles who don't understand anything about spirituality. And it's a form of lowering your guard and just being ready for a, hey, yeah, sometimes people die. You just launch some drones and you bomb some civilians and hey, you know, it's part of the war, you know. There is always some collateral damage and so on. Everything goes. Look what today is being accepted in this world. You know? A lot of stuff is being accepted, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Not at all. We live in a world of a permissiveness which is diabolic. It's not okay. And many people say, what would Jesus do? Jesus went bananas. He went apeshit 2,000 years ago in front of people who are living a relatively clean life. The Jews of 2,000 years ago, they had a relatively clean lifestyle. If Jesus would come today, he would make a heart attack in 3 minutes and 50 seconds of indignation of what he sees around. No? Like, try to realize. And therefore, Jesus says it very clearly. The last prayer which you do is deliver us from the evil. If you don't ask God to keep the evil out of your life, you will drown under it because it's everywhere. Remember the famous story that Jesus fasted before he started his ministry. He, st he fasted for 40 days. And then when he fasted, he met with the devil. And the devil took him on some high mountain near Hebron or wherever that is, near Jericho. You know? And there, he, in a vision, 
he showed to Jesus the whole world. The whole world, whatever that meant. It's a metaphor, yeah? And he said, all this can be to you if you serve me. Please realize the devil could not have given something which he didn't have. Which means if the devil said, I can give you the whole world, it means the whole world belongs to the devil. Jesus himself says it when he calls the devil several times in the, his speeches, the prince of this world. The prince of this world is not God. God is unseen, unheard, and many people say, hey, God, maybe it doesn't even exist. You know, I'm an agnostic. I don't know. How can you know? And so on. Hey, yeah, God said you shall not uh, uh, dip your dick in molten tar or something like. Who believes in these things? You know, maybe it's not true. Maybe uh, Let's try anyway to do it. You know, this is old-fashioned shit. You know? Like, God does not exist for most people. It's just something written in some books that Jesus or Buddha or Swami Shivananda or somebody talks about a cosmic consciousness and people say, yeah, does that exist? They're like, right now in this room, this room is filled up in every cubic millimeter of, in every molecule of air. We are in an ocean of cosmic consciousness. We are breathing cosmic consciousness. God is here now. Because that's what Rumi says. There's no need to suffer. God is here. But like, why don't we see it? We look around and we see Shiva Hall. Is God the Shiva Hall? Yes and no. You are looking at God, but you are incapable to see it as you look at stereograms. And you cannot see what's hidden in that stereogram because your eyes need to focus in a special way to see that 3D picture. Exactly like this. You are looking at it. You are looking at your own essence. You are looking at the fact that we are like fishes in the water. We exist in a cosmic consciousness that pervades every detail of this reality. And that 250,000 people die in a tsunami. There is genocide and mass killing. Husbands beat the shit out of their wives and of their kids. There is war in Iran, Iraq, or wherever. Now, like, shit happens abundantly, and meanwhile, we live in the cosmic consciousness. No? We live in the cosmic consciousness, but we are not tuned to it. We live, and it's like two parallel universes. It's here if you do what Ramakrishna did. It's here if you, did, if you do what Milarepa did. Then suddenly the doors of your perception open, and you perceive it. You see it. You hear it. You feel it. You are in an ocean of cosmic consciousness. And then Rumi is right. God is here. For Rumi, God was here. He was in touch with it. But for the regular person, God is just a theory and an abstraction. And most people... I know many of the students who come to yoga come from being atheistic, agnostic. When I was 16 years old and first I heard about the seven planes of the universe from my first teacher, I was atheistic. I was doing physics, chemistry, mathematics, and I thought I was the smartest person in the world, you know. 
then I realized slowly, slowly, I started realizing I didn't know shit about a lot of things. I was just an arrogant teenager who didn't understand anything about things. And therefore, what I'm trying to say, I understand the difficulties of people who come from that place where I came from. For me to talk about Jesus, 35 or 40 years ago, it would have been inconceivable. Jesus was a stupid, ridiculous thing that my grandmother, who was an idiot, believed in. You know, it's like I had no mercy and no tolerance for people going there. I was completely into rationalism, science, and all these kinds of things. You know? So, in yoga, when people come to our courses and we speak about the laws of resonance, and we speak about the fact that there exists a seventh level of the universe, which is a unified form of energy, that unified energy which Albert Einstein looked for all his life, then we say about the fact that there is a unified consciousness and energy, and that energy and consciousness are connected, because even quantum mechanics demonstrated that if you have a quantum experiment with elementary particles, and if a human being looks at it, it behaves in a different way than if no human being looks at it. How would you explain that? You know, that if there is a witness, a physics experiment goes different than, than if it doesn't. That if there was no witness there. So, I'm telling you all these things to say that I know that even in yoga, when people are coming, people are respectful. They don't come there to come in my face and say, Swamiji, I think you are just a fucking sectarian idiot, dinosaur, you know, maybe a cultish. Like, what are you teaching there? You know, we don't even know about God. I don't believe in God. What the heck are you talking about? And so on. I accept that people can have serious doubts. Great yogis like Shivananda and Yogananda and others, they keep talking to us about the fact that they could see, they could feel, they could interact with a unified field of energy and consciousness which is the ultimate reality, the foundational reality of this universe, of this whole reality, and which they called cosmic consciousness, or God, or as Buddha, Buddha didn't call it a cosmic consciousness, Buddha called it the Buddha nature, and he said the Buddha nature is of the nature of emptiness, it's shunyata, it's like something which is like the void of the cosmos, you can't describe it, you can't grasp it, you can't understand it, your mind stops in front of it, so he called it, he chose to call it Shunya, Shunyata, the voidness. But all of them speak about some universal, eternal, absolute, perfect, immutable reality, which is the background of the whole reality. And for which this, the fact that I see 20 people or 30 people sitting in front of me, is just like ripples on the water. You are just like a movie on a screen. It's an illusion. It's the law of illusion. You are like etched on the surface of water. I see you and you do exist. And at the same time, there is a much deeper reality behind what I see. It's not as simple as that. It's not that this world is all that there is, as the materialistic people keep intoxicating us with this statement. There is much more to reality. And thus... It's very easy for me, for example, to understand this. There have been gurus who were born with states of cosmic consciousness, like Mahananda Mai said that she had states of Samadhi when she was two years old, 
and Jiddu Krishnamurti was discovered having had states of Samadhi when he was six years old. And these people never could understand the people who didn't see it, you know, because they were born with it. And they thought, if you don't see it, you're probably keeping your eyes closed. There must be something wrong with you because, look, I was a kid and I saw it from the very beginning. No? But there are some of us who, when we were kids, when we were teenagers, when we were young, we didn't see shit. We didn't understand shit. We were blind and narrow-minded and so on. And then, slowly, slowly, this opening has happened also due to practice, meditation, investigation, self-inquiry, and all the things that we do here in yoga and in spirituality in general. And thus, Jesus is bringing up this very difficult point in the end. I have explained it in a Q&A, but I need to say it in the satsang, just if it takes two, three minutes, because the people who are here have not been in that Q&A. The idea which Jesus is like, you can say, man, it's a very cruel and painful idea that Jesus said, the devil has power over the world. He has tempted even me by saying, look, I can give you the world if you kiss my ass, you know, and... At the same time, you say that the devil or the demonic forces, the whatever, the darkness, is the prince of this world, and that God is... Most people don't even know if there is a God, so God is the mysterious one, but what's in your face here is the darkness, is all the egoism, all the materialism, all the animalistic nature, all the demonic tendencies, all the wickedness, all the violence, all the immorality, all, that's what you see. When you go in the society around. And that's a very pessimistic view of the universe. It's like you are saying, oh, this world is hell and so on. Like, what do you recommend that we should all commit suicide and go out of here? Please understand it in the context of the metaphysics of India and of the Orient. The metaphysics of India and of the Orient says it's not always like this. There is a cycle of 26,000 years, and in 26,000 years, it's like the four seasons. There is spring and summer and autumn and winter. And today, tough luck, you're going to say, oh, how can it be like this? It's really, it's written, I'm not making this up. It has been written for hundreds and thousands of years in Indian mystical literature and in Oriental mystical literature. We, we, us, we, the 30 people present tonight here, we happen to be in the winter. We are somewhere in the end of the winter. According to all the prophecies and all the metaphysics which exists on this planet, there cannot be more than 500 years till the end of this winter. Of course, 500 years can mean a lot. But we are, if the winter is 6,000 years, a yuga is about 6,400 years, we are within 500 years from the end of it. So we are in the end of the end, like animals in the forest. It's the end of February, and in March the snow will melt, and the green will, and the grass will come up. And then the animals in the forest have something to eat. But in February, they are about to die. They are almost dead. They haven't seen good food for quite a while. We are in the end of February from the standpoint of Indian mysticism. 
We are in the end of Kali Yuga, as the Indian gurus call it. And that's why Jesus is right. Jesus is simply saying it's not that this planet belongs to the devil. But at some periods of time, like now, and like 2000 years ago still, it's winter. No, winter is coming, for those of you who like the Game of Thrones. You know, It's like winter has come. Winter has been around for a few thousand years. And that's why this planet is not the most splendid people to be if you are a spiritual person. Please look what has happened to very spiritual people in the last 2000 years. Because it's not only Jesus who got killed. People who followed in the footpaths of Jesus, out of 12 apostles, 11 got assassinated, murdered. Only John lived in the island of Patmos until he was 101 years old. All the other 11 brothers of John, brothers in spirit, not in flesh, they were assassinated. Even Thomas, who went to India, they assassinated Thomas in India. They killed him, they stabbed him to death. What kind of world is this? Where out of 12 disciples of Jesus, 11 are assassinated. Why? They were nice people. The only thing is that they spoke very strongly. They did not accept any bullshit and any compromise. But they didn't hit anybody. They didn't beat anybody. They didn't kill anybody. They didn't do war. They didn't preach this. They, didn't pre they preached forgiveness and love. And they were assassinated. And after they died... 50,000 people died in the Roman Empire just because they said, I'm a Christian. No, like what kind of fucking planet is this? It's not only the planet, my friends. It's the time. It's a period of time where the winter has come. And there will be spring. Either we catch it in this lifetime or not, I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't have that information. But spring is coming. Whenever it will come, it will come. So Jesus is not fatalistic or dark. But he simply says, right now when I came to Israel to preach this, we are in the winter. And in the winter, Pontius Pilate runs the show. And if Pontius Pilate tells to his soldiers, catch that bastard and crucify him, they will catch him and crucify him. But, you know, you think it's only Christianity? But as soon as the prophet, the prophet Muhammad, they tried to assassinate him so many times. After the prophet Muhammad died, they killed Ali, his nephew or whatever he was. The first six caliphs of Islam, all of them have been assassinated by their own Islamic brothers out of jealousy. Like who's going to be the boss? Who is going to be the next caliph? Of Islam. A knife in the back. Me, me, me. You know, they died like rats. You know, what a fucking religion is that? Where the big bishops of that religion, they kill each other to say, me, I'm the boss. You know, it's like something must be really disturbed in this world. Rumi, in the 12th century, he had a good friend, guru, nobody knew. They were learning from each other. Shams al-Tabriz, you know, they murdered him. Who murdered Shams al-Tabriz? 
the disciples of Rumi because he was spending too much time with Shams al-Tabriz and neglecting them. They were so important that even their guru was not allowed to spend his time the way he wanted because uh, what about us? And they killed the best friend of their guru. It's like, what world is this? What kind of world is this? Anybody who brings the light, like Prometheus, like the Greek myth of Prometheus, he that brings the light must suffer. Even scientists who brought up like Giordano Bruno and Galileo Galilei and so on, they simply said the earth is moving and they were almost, some of them got burned at stake, some of them got persecuted. Like, can't you even tell the truth? The great Socrates was telling to people in Athens, there is no more Greek culture. You guys have abandoned the high standards. You have, a, you have decayed. You are hypocrites. You are liars. You are not living according to a clean philosophy. What did they do? They asked him politely to drink some poison. They killed him. They, nobody wanted to become a better human being. Everybody wanted the bastard, Socrates the bastard, to die. Because he was a pain in the neck. He was disturbing their comfortable lives by telling them the truth. Therefore, indeed, we live in a world where the demonic exists. And it exists fundamentally because it's winter. And in winter you cannot bother, like, why is it cold? It's cold because that's what in winter is, the cold season and without life. Especially I'm talking from a European and North American perspective. Here in Thailand the seasons have a completely different meaning. But I'm talking about the standard archetypal paradigm of the seasons. So, it's not that Jesus says that the earth has been built to be given to the devil and the devil has tricked God and has taken over and has too much power. That's not what Jesus says. Don't misunderstand. Jesus says, nevertheless, at this time of history, the darkness is very strong and it controls things. I, my first uh, Hatha Yoga teacher, he was a very, uh, he was a character like Robin Hood, you know, he was a revolutionary, he was a man who really wanted to go against the grain of the society and so on. And he simply said, he said, look, I've looked around at the history for the last 2000 years. There's almost never been one of the truly spiritual people that had power, money, control. The demonic forces would make anything in their power not to give control to this. When finally the, psycho the philosophy of Mahatma Gandhi won and India became independent, two months later, Mahatma Gandhi got assassinated by an imbecile. You can ask yourself, what would have Mahatma Gandhi done if he would have lived another 10 years and he would have advised India? Now India was free. Now India loved him. Now Mahatma Gandhi could have brought a bit of paradise on earth. He got killed. He got eliminated. It's not, it can't happen in the winter. It's not allowed to happen in the winter. No? So that's why... I'm simply, this guru, to turn back to what this teacher of mine was saying, he said, what would be for a spiritual person 
to have everything, to have money, military power, to create a kingdom of Shambhala, you know, to create a kingdom of spiritual people. And I asked him, I was young, and I asked him, and I said, but sir, uh, do you see any political, like I understand Mahatma Gandhi was there, but now I was talking with him this thing in 1981 or 82. No, And I was asking him, now there is anybody who is a bit on this religious, like uh, some leaders that also are in accordance with the religion? I can promise you won't like what he answered. He said the only regime which is even close to that is the Ayatollah Khomeini from Iran. Remember, my guru was not Islamic. He never liked Islam or something and so on. No, and he never emigrated to Iran or something. And he was he liked very much sexual tantra, and he would have been crucified if he would have lived in Iran. It's not that he liked Iran or the Islamic culture of Iran, but at least he could acknowledge there there are some people that try to live by the religion, and they also have the power to implement it. It's a sort of a religious republic. You can like it or you can dislike it. That's your problem. But, you know, what would Jesus do if you would make Jesus king? Not constitutional king like the stupid kings of today. Absolute king. Like no parliament and no votes. The king who really runs the show. What would Jesus do? Many, many things who would be very unpopular among some social categories. That's why this world is the way it is. You and I cannot change this radically. Any one of you here has the dream, I am going to be the bigger than the Messiah, I'm going to go and bring Satya Yuga on earth. <coughs> if God sends spring on earth, Satya Yuga is the equivalent of spring, for those of you who don't know, then it will happen anyway, with or without you. And if it's not the time and it has to happen in 300 years from now, in spite of all your self-sacrifice and best efforts, you will not manage to change. It's like somebody tries to stop the winter. You can't stop the winter. It's a process which is naturally required. That's why Jesus knows very well the only thing which spiritual people can do in the winter is to keep it small, to create a microclimate. Like 20 people can gather in an ashram or in a monastery, and in that ashram or monastery or Sufi Darga, they can live like in Satya Yuga. They can live like it's spring, but it's their own bubble. It's a bubble. It's a microcosm. In the big one, you cannot, you do not have the warrant and you do not have the power. Even Jesus did not change this. Nobody, even the Christians, cannot claim that Jesus brought paradise on earth. Christianity is full of shit, full of miseries. Crusades and inquisition and egoistic kings and murder and all sorts of incredibly terrible stuff. Did Christianity bring... No, because it's winter. You cannot produce a mass phenomenon in which you bring spring to the whole planet. 
because the time of the spring has not yet come. And that's why you, you have, if a, if a farmer is wise and experienced, you would say, come on, it's February, go and plant your wheat. The farmer will look at you and say, are you nuts? The wheat gets planted in March, because if you plant it in February, there will come a frost and the wheat will die and will have no crops this year. Even if you are enthusiastic and have wishful thinking and say, hey, let's plant the wheat in February. Let's bring Satya Yuga 200 years earlier. You are in for a disaster. It doesn't work that way. You can create small oases, like a yoga school, like this. There is a place where you can have people with spiritual aspiration who want to do some spiritual things. And then you can find this man or this woman who is doing four hours of meditation every day, is vegetarian, is fasting, is performing pranayama and this and that, is living according to a strict moral and ethical code, is practicing kundalini, is activating their ajna chakra and sahasrara, is going in high states of consciousness. But that's not for the whole planet. It cannot be. Now, it cannot be a mass process. I could insist so much on this because it's very thrilling about how did great yogis see this? How will the planet change? When can it change? How a spiritual revolution is possible? Right now, it's possible in limited numbers. Limited numbers of people can live a spiritual life. But unfortunately, not yet as a mass phenomenon. It's not yet a mass phenomenon. And that's why Jesus keeps telling you, out there, there is winter. Out there, there is darkness. Satan is the prince of this world. And therefore, what you do when you pray, you say, give me a clean space. Deliver us from evil. Everybody is in the winter. Give me a little bit of spring. In my yoga school. In my house. In my monastery, give us a little bit here. At least here we should have a taste of paradise. This is what this is saying. Deliver us from the evil. He, he says, lead us not into temptation. It's like people don't understand, but my first, the same yoga teacher who talked to me when I was young and with whom I had a debate on this, no, he he told me, I said, what does it mean, lead us into not into temptation? No, like, temptation, let's say, what it, I am tempted to kill somebody. I am tempted to waste my sexual energy chaotically for the rest of my life. I am tempted to do this or to do that. There are temptations yeah, of different kinds. I am tempted to smoke poisonous things until I'm dying of cancer or something. I can be tempted by many things. No? And I, I said, why does, it, why does he pray to God to not lead him, us, into temptation? And he looked at me with compassion and he said, can you imagine for a second what would happen if God, not the devil, if God would want to lead you into temptation? If God for a second would want just to play a stupid game, because God has a playful nature, and if God would say, ha, out of 7 billion, 
I can as well take five, four or five and just lead them, you know, just ruin them. Just for the fun of it, you know, just why not? You know, there are men, there are plenty of rats out there. You know, humanity is plenty abundant. You know, why not play some cruel games? I need to have some fun with a couple of them. It doesn't happen. If the divine wants to lead you into temptation, that power is characterized by the mystics as almighty, omnipotent, if you prefer. It's an equivalent. It is irresistible. If God wants to lead somebody into temptation, there is no way. That's why the fact that you say, but Milarepa killed 35 people, and then he did meditation and yoga like crazy, and he reached nirvana and he saved his soul. Luckily that he was not led into temptation more than that. Luckily. Luckily that somebody up there had pity on Milarepa and said, if we don't support this guy, he's going straight to hell. Let's support him. You don't know how many masters from Shambhala, how many Buddhas of the past, how many Arhats or how many angels have prayed for the soul of Milarepa to give him the perseverance, the willpower and the self-discipline that he should sit there and do his yoga and save his soul. Therefore, we are in the middle of a battlefield. There are angels looking down upon us and ascended masters and other spiritual entities. And there are also dark entities. You can look. Uh, I have a dog that is my friend. And every time when I show up, the dog is wagging its tail and it's happy to see me. The dog is the man's best friend. And five meters there in the grass, there is a cobra. Because we live in the jungle on this island. And if I step wrong, the cobra will bite me and I could be dead. Like the universe is full of my friendly dog, servant, best friend, and of cobras, and of tigers. So the invisible universe is full of angels and entities of light, and it's full of tigers and cobras as well. And the tigers and cobras just want my throat. They just want to get my blood. That's what they like. And thus, the universe is filled up with a lot of entities, some of them which are clearly positive to us, helpful, some of them which are middle of the way, and if you give them something nice, they give you something nice, and if you give them some shit, they give you some shit. And then, entities which are on the side of darkness, which even if you give them something nice, they will still give you shit which are always on that side. So therefore, Jesus knows that temptation does exist, that especially in the winter of mankind, spirituality is a frail process. I'm growing some, I don't know what. Does it survive in the winter? Yes, but I have to take great care of it. Every day I'm going and tending to my little garden, because it's winter and if I forget about it for two weeks, they will all die and be frozen. No? So it's the same with the spiritual life. My friends, I don't know if you will belong to this school or not, if you'll follow this path or not. Obviously you are here because you are at least curious, if not more, about spiritual things. The spiritual life is a delicate flower in the winter. You have to keep the flame alive. You have to 
Take care of your soul. Take care of your heart. Because the angels and the beings of light, they want to help you. But they cannot help you if you don't ask to be helped. Because otherwise they would go against your free choice, against your free will. They cannot interfere when you don't ask them to interfere. That's it's not then that will not be freedom. And thus, spirituality is a very delicate flower now in Kali Yuga, in the winter. That's why there are fewer and fewer gurus. There are fewer and fewer enlightened beings. The world is filled up with Facebook and confusion. And Milarepas, they appear more and more seldom on this planet. And that's why if you dream to be a Milarepa, then focus. You have to focus. It's winter. It's end of February. Nature is weak and almost collapsing. But it never collapses, remember. Nature always regenerates when spring is coming. So nature is never defeated. But it has a moment of weakness. And in this moment of weakness, you are born irony of the universe because if you would have been born 25,000 years ago in Satya Yuga or something you would have been whoa Indian scriptures say that the citizens of Satya Yuga if they closed their eyes they went in Samadhi that's all you needed to do close your eyes and kind of stay quiet and you had states of cosmic consciousness today if you close your eyes if your brain is not very disturbed, if, and it's a very big if, you produce alpha waves. That's all that happens. Close your eyes, stay like this for 30 seconds, you will get some alpha waves on an EEG. It's not a state of samadhi. It's a huge difference between some alpha waves and some state of cosmic consciousness. And therefore, there were, there have been much better times in the history of the earth. This is not one of them. But it has its advantages, of course. I don't want to criticize where we are, because we have to be intelligent. Farmers do very intelligent things in the winter. But they don't plant the wheat in the winter. They know exactly, they are wise. We have to acquire the same wisdom. How to live a spiritual life in Kali Yuga. We can do this, we can do this, we can do that. There are a lot of advantages. For example, the computer age and the internet makes that almost any spiritual information is at your fingertips. Milarepa didn't have it in the 12th century. For Milarepa, it was very difficult to get the spiritual information. His guru was a cruel bastard and really went hard on him. Because he knew he was a murderer and everything. And he kind of squashed him really hard. Today, all of you can know everything which Milarepa learned from his guru. In one year on being on internet. If you know where to go. And if you have some discrimination. And you know what. Or coming to a yoga school or so on. You can learn. Today, there are benefits. There are advantages. No? In the old days... There are gurus in India who said, if you stay with me for 12 years and if you serve me faithfully, I will teach you Kundalini. No? Like, hey, it had a price. 
You had to give your life. You had to give your soul for it. Today, there are many people who learn and have learned technique, technology of Kundalini just by paying the money and going to a workshop. That's why I say that. Don't think that the winter is all bad. It's not all bad. There are benefits to it. But still, we are in a peculiar season of mankind. And one of the characteristics of this is that, unfortunately, the darkness is thick. All the people who are awakened spiritually, when they look at the way the planet is today, just surf the net for 30 minutes and listen to some news channel. And then you start scratching your head and saying, what kind of world is this? You know, it's like... Where have I been parachuted, you know? I, like, I landed in a very weird place. It doesn't correspond to the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali or to the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, like, it's, it's a very... No? So, Jesus adds this. He says, you have to pray to this. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. This generates... A sort of humbleness. Because a, a real spiritual practitioner is never arrogant and conceited. You know what? Uh, I'm going to be vegetarian, whatever. What if God sends you like those guys in the Andes who fell with an airplane and they started eating human flesh to survive? No? Like, if you provoke the divine consciousness, like, I am good, I control my sexual energy wonderfully. Really, would you like to see God giving you a lesson about it and show you that you don't control shit? Uh, no, second thought, I wouldn't like to see that. Okay, so then don't be arrogant and don't be a big mouth. Don't go and brag. Oh, I'm very good about my non-violence. You want to bet that God can make you violent? That God can create an impossible circumstance for you in which either you die or you have to sort it with violence. Then you are going to say it was irresistible. Yeah. So Jesus says, better be humble and say, God, do not lead us into temptation. Like, I will never be strong enough to challenge the cosmic consciousness. That's a utopia. That's a insanity, you know? So therefore, it's much better that I say, God, I am small. Please don't lead me into temptation and deliver us from evil. Because if we are not, if we don't have some protection in the winter, it's not going to be a good life. Thus, this prayer ends with something which people seldom want to hear. That we live in a universe where there exists darkness. There are people today, I think Mukta was showing me some of the pupils of Agama who obviously did not understand our workshop of Kashmiri Shaivism and who was quoting some hippie, absurd, ridiculous quote that, uh, well, if you think about sin, then you are not really in light. And it's like, Pathetic. Pathetic, you know, it's like they, they should read Jesus once more, you know. It's just as simple as that, you know. It's yes, and do not lead us into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil. It's, an, it's the third component of the prayer. You ask for three things. Sustenance, the daily bread to exist in this universe. Give me life. There is a wonderful Russian hymn made by a monk who was deported by the communists in Siberia. And he had a hell of a life. And this man composed one of the most beautiful hymns of Christian hymns of the modern time. And it starts, it's like glory to God. It's like praise to God for a million things. It's like he praises God for the sunrise, for the sunset, for everything. Because he can see the hand of God in everything. And one of the first praises he says, Praised be you, my Lord, because you have called me to life. Like from the primordial ocean of consciousness, you said, this drop will become Walter. You know, thank you, God, for making me exist, for making me into a person. That finger which God gives to Adam in the Sistine Chapel of Michelangelo, you know, that initial thing. You know, he, so God says, give me existence. Thank you for the existence. Maintain me into existence. Unworthy as I may be. Keep me alive. Make the planet and the universe and Mother Nature sustain me. I will forgive everybody because I cannot be perfect and I want to reach forgiveness. The path of the heart. And protect us from the darkness. Do not lead us into temptation. Because it can be too difficult for us. It's so difficult to live a good and spiritual life in Kali Yuga. If you are not protected... It can be overwhelming. So, in this way, Jesus has been teaching how to pray. Again, I'm saying you can modify this prayer in ways which, uh, like if you are smart enough and understand the principle, then you can do the introduction, praise God, connect with God, hallowed be thy name, create the sacred space. And then when you ask things, of course, it's not forbidden that you have a request. Prayer is not about requests. Pray, people think that when you do prayer, you are like a beggar who begs for something. That's a completely wrong thing. The great masters of prayer in all the religions of the world, they did not pray for anything. There's a story in India with a man getting badly burned. On a house, the roof gets on fire. There is fresh paint on the roof and he gets burned badly, terribly. No, and he's disfigured and so on. And in the middle of that state of shock, he's a worshiper of the goddess. And the goddess, the mother, Kali, one of the great goddesses, appears to him. And he says, the goddess speaks to him and he says, My son, what do you need? What can I do for you? And what would you do? You know, like you have been just burned like a barbecue. And you are disfigured. And you would say, Mother, help me be healthy again. This man is smart. is a refined Hindu. is a religious refined Hindu. He doesn't ask, you know, what's important if my face looks good or doesn't look good. Especially he was a 60-year-old man. What did he care about? He says, Mother, give me your company all the time you know like all that i want is for you to show up to you to me every day to be with me you know like not just because i'm getting burned now i'm not interested to get a fresh skin on my cheeks that's completely unimportant you know so prayer is about communion 
the great prayer mystics of prayer they said i'm praying to god god please teach me how can i love you more because the problem is that i can't love god enough so that i can be fanatic to death completely surrendering going 110% because i'm selfish i cannot give myself to god and then my prayer is a weak prayer is a hypocritical prayer because uh, yes i'm saying god i love you so much hallowed be thy yeah yeah somebody up there in shambhala says bullshit you know it's like we know you are not 100% sincere okay your prayer will still have some effect but not the prayer of jesus jesus prayed and lazarus came to life after 4 days lazarus was dead for 4 days biologically it was impossible he was rotten he was stinking and jesus said even now if i pray no like there is no limit to what the cosmic consciousness can do but if you want to resurrect lazarus you have to be able to pray like jesus that prayer has effect the prayer of an egoistic skeptical person has some effect but proportionally but not that big effect so in this way again prayer is not about asking for things prayer is about coming close the prayer of the heart starts from saying lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner which is a request like have mercy on me have mercy but what does it mean have mercy on me have mercy on me means give me liberation give me enlightenment save my soul make me immortal make me deathless make me reach the kingdom of heaven because if i say lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me which means give me a new pair of shoes come on is that the what you want from god that's the mercy which you want from god i okay if you don't have shoes maybe you need a pair of shoes but that's completely collateral and secondary you want you are saying you know and then you say lord jesus christ have mercy on me what does it mean what what will happen when lord have mercy on me i'll start crying my heart will open i will have an epiphany and then i will reach the state of samadhi and i will be with jesus for the next gazillion years in the kingdom of heaven so to actually what i'm asking for is make me come to you make me become like you make me in resonance with you make me embrace you that's the only thing which i want all the other things are collateral and give me a pair of shoes yeah a pair of shoes is also okay but that's a trifle the real big thing is that and that's why the people who do the prayer of the heart the last stage of the prayer of heart for the most advanced practitioners is that you just come you shorten it instead of lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me a sinner you say lord jesus christ son of god have mercy on me lord jesus you cut the sinner and then you say son of god why say son of god because you know who jesus lord jesus christ have mercy on me lord jesus christ have mercy on me lord jesus christ instead of jesus christ you can say just jesus because it's not two jesuses lord jesus have mercy on me lord jesus have mercy on me why on me mercy on me and on the whole. lord jesus have mercy lord jesus have mercy lord jesus have mercy lord jesus have mercy and how do you go further from that you don't even need to say have mercy you just say lord jesus lord jesus lord jesus it's like a mantra and guess where it goes you don't even need to say lord so you say jesus 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 why don't you try try to say jesus a million times one day to see what's happening no you will break your heart will break and it will open 
because you are inviting the king of this planet, not only the king of the Jews, you are inviting the Messiah of this cosmic cycle into your heart by simply saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's what you want. Well, I don't want shoes. I want Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's all I want. I want to be that, to be one with that. Prayer, you are not asking for anything. Prayer is just a communion. You are melting with something. It's what Patanjali has called Samyama. We can say from a strictly Raja Yogic standpoint that the prayer of the heart is a method of achieving Samyama with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So, Jesus here, to conclude this, is giving the archetypal prayer. And there are so many aspects to this prayer. And again, if I would comment on lead us in, not into temptation, which was today's last verse and so on, there's so many doors which open from there. We don't have time. I want to finish this gospel one day while we are still alive. You know, So it's like, of course, we have to continue and go through it. I cannot dig forever and ever in it. But I'm trying to explain how is it seen from a standpoint of yoga, of the yoga practice. Because we still have a few minutes, I don't want to deprive you of the last minutes, like, because now the subject is changing a little bit, not much. We are still in the same chapter. But after Jesus revealed to them the most archetypal prayer, which you, if you understood it, then you can enrich on it. It's not forbidden to say, lead us not into temptation and so on. And by the way, heal my pain in the knee, if possible. If it's good for my evolution, heal my knee. No, there's nothing wrong with praying for more concrete things, because we do have sometimes concrete needs in our life. But we have to stay with the big things. And then the story continues by saying, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight, like very inappropriate moment, and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then... The one he is describing as like, who is the friend? The friend can be God. Like you go to God at midnight and say, God, give me this or give me that. No, but will it work? Does it always work? Try to think every time when an airplane is crashing. Just now they crushed one in Iran. Where every time when an airplane is crashing... At least 10 people in that airplane go, God, 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 save me. Oh, please, God, no. Yes, please, I have children at home. And they die. They keep dying every time. Which doesn't mean that the prayer doesn't work. It doesn't mean, but look at Jesus says, you go at midnight and ask for three loaves of bread. And maybe it's not even justified. Maybe it's not the best thing for you. But what is the best thing for you? There is a Greek story with a woman who went to the temple of Apollo in Delphi, and there there were priestesses who were inhaling a gas coming from the earth, and they were stoned, they were high, and these priestesses had the gift of clairvoyance, because they were under a gas, under a drug, under some substance. And they told answers to people. They had the gift of prophecy and other form of clairvoyance. 
And this woman comes to the temple, makes offerings, and the priestess who was on duty, she looks at her and she says, the gods are telling me that you have earned their grace and anything you will ask of them, they shall give it to you. Like, hey, you know, it's like jackpot. You can say, I want to win El Gordo. You know, I went to win the Super Bowl lottery and to have $250 million and not to care about money for the rest of my life. And then I will do yoga. I will stand on my head. I will, you know, just give me the stash. Give me the money so I can decide about my life and so on, you know. So the gods told her, whatever you ask, we will give it to you. This woman is not a yogini. Because if she would have been Mahananda Mai, she would have said, I can only ask to be with God all the time. To be in communion. That's what I ask. The only thing which I want is a state of oneness. That's the only aspiration of my heart. This woman was not a great yogini, but she was not stupid either. She had a certain wisdom. That's why the grace came to her. Not Nobody else got such a message. And this woman said, please tell to the God that, first of all, I don't need anything because I'm old. I have at home two young sons who are 20 years old. They are in the start of their life, and I would like to transfer this grace to them. For me, it's more important that if the gods want to bless me, they should bless my sons. Because my life is more or less over. Their life is only beginning. So for me, it doesn't matter. What blessing can you give me to make my life much better? I'm going to die soon anyway. What's the big... She was very selfless in this way. Not me, me, me. Oh yeah, it came to me. Me, I fuck those two sons. They can take care of themselves. You know, it's like whatever. No, stupid jerks. They are not respectful to me lately. You know, and so... No, she was like, you know, I don't want anything. Such an offer. That a, a pitya, a, one of the pistesses, one of the priestesses, tells you, the gods tell me you can ask anything. Ask for anything you want. And then she says, so don't give it to me, give it to my sons. And then she says, but even then, I don't know what to ask for my sons. Because I'm just a stupid person, and I don't know really what's good for one person. I can ask you to give money to my sons, but then they can become two very egoistic bastards who will hit people, kill people, be arrogant and so on, then it will turn against them. The fact that they became rich will be actually their downfall. So it's like, I don't really know even what to ask for my sons. So she said, not only that I ask that it should be given to my sons, but I ask like this, may the gods give to my sons the thing which they think is best for my sons. Let the gods decide. You know how this story ends? She goes back to Athens and she finds her house burned down and her son's dead. Like, maybe the best thing to receive is to die and to get out of here. No, because we are not in the best place possible. So that's why I say, we pray. But for what we pray? And when we pray, do we pray right? Oh, God, save me from an airplane crash. Yeah, that's what your mind tells you now. But maybe six months later, you will say, thank you, God, that you put me in that airplane crash. Because now I can see it's much better. You know, I'm in a much better place right now. No, so it's like ignorance can make us pray at inappropriate moments. In the this guy comes to his friend in this metaphor and he says, give me three loaves of bread. 
Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Power of prayer, you know, like the, the friend is God. And God said, says, it's winter. Winter has come. It's inappropriate. I am with my children in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus says, although the cosmic consciousness may not find it, like you are too much, nevertheless the prayer is prayer is prayer. If the man has come at midnight and says, give me three loaves of bread, he says, yet, because of the man's boldness, like prayer involves a certain boldness, that you say, I know there are 150,000 people in Shambhala, and it's full to capacity. Please take me also. Okay. Where there is 150,000, there can be 150,000 plus one. Like God can like your boldness. You have to have the boldness. No, go and ask. It's better to act than not to act. Action is superior to inaction as Krishna says it. No, act. Have the boldness. The, 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 the stupid thing is to stay away. No, I'm not praying to God because I hate to disturb God. You are an imbecile who is under the power of the demons. The demons put that thought in your mind. How should you be ashamed to connect with your source of consciousness, with the source of your life and existence? It's much better to be bold. I remember a Christian mystic who said, look what happened to Adam. The story about Adam is that he ate that stupid apple. Eve said, let's eat this apple. And they ate it. And then when God came, he said, I can't show up because I'm naked. And God then knew. Hey, you ate the fucking apple. That's why now you are ashamed that you are naked. You know? And he said, what did you do? How do you know you are naked? Oh, he said, you ate of the fruit. And then he said, well, the woman tempted me. He blamed uh, Eve, the great chivalrous Adam. He just put the shit on Eve. You know, he said, she, 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 she did it. You know, she gave me the apple. All the Christian mystic says, all it would have taken would have been for Adam to be humble and to say, Father, I have done a mistake. Please forgive me. Please, really, really humbly. I, I really fucked up. Please, once more, your heart is infinite. Just forgive me. He would have received forgiveness then. He would have received the three loaves of bread then at midnight. In the morning, you know, because the divine consciousness has said, I like that. I like that. Do some more of that. Come more to me. Come to me more and, you know, be with, because the point of it is not that you are asking for something. The point of it is that you are one with me, that you have communion with me, that we are of one heart, that we are of one soul. Now, let's be together with me and then you can have anything, everything. It doesn't matter. So Jesus is revealing a mystery of the cosmic consciousness. He understands how the cosmic consciousness is and works. And he says, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up 
God will wake up in the middle of, of course he never sleeps, but it's a metaphor. He will get up in the middle of night and give him as much as he needs. And then Jesus delivers the paragraph with which I'm going to resume next time. Because that's the morals of what he says. So I say to you, says Jesus, I taught you how to pray. I taught you that you should even go at midnight and disturb God. And then he says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Please remember, if Jesus is a schizophrenic, megalomanic idiot, this is bullshit. You can piss on it. It's just an idiot who talks. But if Jesus is the Son of God, as he said it himself, then this is the Word of God. God is talking to you and I right now, and God is telling you, ask and it will be given to you. Like, what more do you need? God is promising it to you. It's a pledge. If it doesn't happen when you die, you can go to God and say, fucking bastard, you are an imposter. You know, you said, look, you, I read this when I was alive. And I asked and he didn't give it to me. So why the fuck are you such a liar? Give me back my life. At least I want to be an atheist and go in pubs and get drunk from morning till evening and ignore you completely. You are a fucking bastard. I put my life into you and I asked and you didn't give. It will never happen. You'll never be able to do that because this is law. It's law of the universe. Ask and it will be given to you. Jesus has promised it. If not, you can go and say, Jesus, why did you promise? Are you a liar? He will never be a liar. Because the law, the cosmic law functions. It's true, again, that you may not know again what you are praying for and you can be confused. And the prayer can be an act of egoism and other things like the prayer can be incomplete or imperfect. But here Jesus is talking from the standpoint of perfection of prayer. He says, reach a great degree of prayer. And then when you can reach oneness, anything, you go in the midnight and ask for everything and it happens. Remember, he asked for Lazarus to come back to life after four days. No, And he said, now everybody can see that I am the one that I say that I am. You know, I'm not an imposter. I really walk the talk. He really walked the talk and he gives you the direction for you to walk the same talk. You, can, you want to practice prayer? Practice a little bit of prayer. Find a prayer. Hindu, Buddhist, Islamic. Christian, Jewish, whichever, find and practice it. Practice it seriously. And you will see what comes from it. Prayer and meditation are the two pillars of spirituality. Some religions insist more on prayer than on meditation. Some religions, like in Buddhism, they insist more on meditation than on prayer. But in the end, they are just the wings of the same bird. They are the wings of the same spiritual practice. So I'm going to get back to this when I start next time about this promise of Jesus, what implications 
does it have for a yogi? No, like you can, you are a yogi and some people say, Swamiji, we care very much about chakras. My heart chakra is not open. Could I, before doing yoga, like I'm going to do two hours of yoga, pranayama, cobra, visualization, this, that. Before doing, could I do five minutes or ten minutes of prayer in which I'm saying, master of the universe, Shiva, cosmic consciousness, whatever, cosmic father, whatever you choose to call the, the great Buddha nature of the universe, or Manitu, the great spirit, or whatever your designation for that is. You know, I'm going to work, please give me some mana, make my practice have fruits. I'm going to work two hours on Anahata, and it's because my Anahata has been blocked for all my life. And now I'm aware of it, and I would like to become a heartful person. I want to transform, and in two years, I want to become a different person, to bless the world with some of my karma yoga, with my presence, and so on. Please. Make my asanas and my pranayama work ten times more than usually, a hundred thousand times more than usually. Give give success to my practice. Can't you mix prayer with yoga? Of course you can. So the question is, of course, where if you don't believe in God and you say, well, I don't know this thing from Swamiji and from Shivananda and all this, it makes me feel a bit awkward. You know, I don't have the power yet. <clears throat> to pray. Okay, you don't have the power to pray. It's not a tragedy either. At least you are doing your headstand, you are doing your pranayama, you are working on your heart chakra. One day you will grow to the break point where some mutation will happen in you and your spiritual practice will become better, deeper, stronger. So these are just steps on the path. But prayer, because we spoke about Jesus' advice about prayer, prayer is definitely something which can help you. And remember, God doesn't mind it. If you are bold, go at midnight and ask for the three loaves of bread. Nobody will get upset because of that. The cosmic consciousness is happy to be accessed, to be knocked at the door. Yeah? Do that. Have your heart. Don't be afraid, ever. Better disturb God than have God not know about your existence. You know, be there, knock at the door, ask for something, and your life is going to be improved. Enough of this. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Whenever you have questions about these things, remember we have Q&As on Tuesdays. And uh, next week, if everything goes as planned, we'll continue from this place. On. It goes at a slow place, but slowly, slowly, we'll get over it. Thank you all again.